When I set out to make a video about Nero, I thought it would be a crazy biography of an absolute lunatic. But in researching, that's not exactly what I found. Nero is probably Rome's most notorious emperor. History tells us that he murdered his mother and his first wife, kicked his pregnant second wife to death, illuminated parties with human torches, and played the fiddle while Rome burned to the ground. But these same history books also say that he was absolutely beloved by the people of Rome. Nero was vehemently anti-corruption, he cut taxes, expanded slaves' rights, and outlawed capital punishment. So. Which is it? Well, I was surprised to learn, like I think you'll be, that the story of Nero is a little more complex than just lunatic does horrific things. I mean, sure, I'll talk about all of those horrific things in detail, but I think by the end of this video, you'll find yourself questioning not just what you believe about Nero, but maybe what you believe about history and who gets to write it and what that means for the rest of us. First things first, though, let's talk about Nero. So the royal lineage of Rome is a huge, complicated spider web. We could really spend an hour or two talking about Nero's place in it all. So I'm just going to speed through this part. Nero was born as the great-great-grandson to the emperor Augustus. So certainly not first in line to any throne, but always in the conversation from day one. Nero's mother was Agrippina and his father was Gennaeus, but Gennaeus died pretty young and Agrippina, being involved with the Roman elite circles, married the emperor Claudius, who then adopted Nero. Claudius also had another son, but it seemed like the emperor favored Nero in most ways. Claudius's advisors cautioned him though. They said that Nero was spoiled, aloof, and kind of showed a cruel side. Now, Claudius had just succeeded the Emperor Caligula, who was famously demented and insane. So, of course, with that in mind, Claudius' advisors worried that Nero would be another Caligula, should he ever take the throne. But Nero never expressed much interest in power or taking over any thrones. On the other hand, his mother, Agrippina, was quite the opposite. Her life was marked by cunning, cutthroat power grabs. Her marriage to Claudius was probably just that. Agrippina's son becoming emperor of Rome, after all, would be the ultimate power grab. So Agrippina killed Claudius. She poisoned him with deadly mushrooms. Probably. Not all academic sources agree on this, but it's very much in line with her character. In any case, Claudius was dead and his birth son was too young to take the throne. So at just 16 years old, Nero became the emperor of Rome. After taking the throne, Nero basically said, I don't want this job anyway, so I don't really care. He kind of just did his own thing. At the time, artists were the lowest class in society, but Nero loved them. Nero was an artistic type, he was creative, so he started hanging out with artists in theaters and in brothels. He would even get drunk and make cameo appearances in theatrical productions. During this time, Nero held public orgies, once even getting married to another man who had participated. I don't know if Nero truly identified with the lower class, but he certainly won their affection with his sociable, creative personality. And indeed, he walked the walk, performing a series of diplomatic actions that were great for the lower classes of Roman society. Nero inherited an empire that was enormously in debt, so he overhauled the tax system. 
To encourage economic growth and make it easier for people to earn a living, he lowered taxes on individuals and businesses. Nero also implemented a series of public works projects, creating jobs and boosting the Roman economy. Nero made it legal for slaves to file complaints about their masters. This gave slaves a higher standing in Roman society and possibly planted the seeds for future reforms. Nero also ended a war, negotiating a peace treaty with the nearby Parthian Empire. All of this stuff made Nero's reign pretty successful, at least as far as the common people were concerned. But the Roman elites, the Senate, they weren't impressed at all. They believed Nero was making a mockery of the throne, engaging in arts, elevating slaves. This was all despicable to those in the upper echelon of Roman society. So Nero developed a sort of inner circle of power, trusted allies. Among those, his mother was not included. It's possible, likely even, that Agrippina just wanted to rule by proxy of Nero. Her own son was probably just a piece in her little game. So when Nero froze her out of power, she was furious. She began to side with Nero's stepbrother, Britannicus. And this is basically where Nero's downfall begins. Nero got word that his mother was plotting with Britannicus to take the throne. So Nero poisoned Britannicus, securing his own position as ruler. Not long after, Nero began to wonder if he really needed Agrippina around. He concluded that, in fact, he didn't. Nero had his mother board a boat that was designed to sink. The boat indeed sank, but Agrippina managed to swim to shore. When she arrived at shore, Nero's men stabbed her to death. It's said that as the soldiers approached, she told them to stab her in the stomach where, quote, she had nurtured the monster. If this sounds too poetic to be true, stay tuned, because it might be. Nero tried to tell the Roman people that Agrippina's death was a suicide, but word quickly spread that he had murdered his mother, and the public began to turn on Nero. Now, Nero was married to a woman named Octavia. The Roman people loved Octavia. She was charming, active in public life, and just all around adored by the Romans. But after Octavia failed to bear him children, Nero tried to strangle her. This happened a few times, actually. Eventually, seeing that she was entirely unable to bear children, Nero divorced Octavia. This infuriated the Roman people, and they even protested the separation. The whole city was really up in arms over it. But Nero saw this as a chance to display power to his subjects. He wanted to show his people that he could do things with or without their consent, so he had Octavia killed. Around this time, the walls began closing in on Nero. The people of Rome had turned on him and his advisors, well, they had hated him for a long time. So a group of Roman politicians made a plot to assassinate Nero. There's no central idea as to what to do after Nero was dead, but the Roman elite knew Nero was just not good for the empire and had to be eliminated. Before they were able to kill Nero, though, the emperor found out about the conspiracy. Nero immediately executed 20 people for involvement in the plan and exiled another dozen. Up to this point, Nero had been a pretty bad guy, but in the years that followed this conspiracy, the emperor truly went off the rails. Now, this is where the Nero you've heard about becomes real. Shortly after the executions, Rome experienced the Great Fire. It burned for a total of six days, destroying two-thirds of the city. The fable goes that Nero was playing a fiddle while the fire burned. 
but this is entirely untrue. For one, fiddles hadn't even been invented yet. Secondly, Nero wasn't in the city when the fire was burning. Instead, he was at a countryside estate. When he got word of the fire, Nero returned home immediately. There, he opened his doors to those affected. Anyone who was made homeless by the fire was allowed to stay in the royal palace. The myth of Nero playing music while Rome burned is probably just a metaphor that got taken too literally. See, on one hand, Nero loved the arts and joyfully engaged in theater and music, but he was not above causing massive death and destruction. After Rome burned, Nero began the construction of a new palace. His palace was much larger than the previous one, and right on top of it, Nero included a 120-foot statue of himself. To this day, no one knows how the fire started, but the people of Rome began to think that Nero caused the fire so he could have an excuse to build this new palace. To combat these rumors, Nero decided to find a scapegoat for the fire. At the time, the Christians in Rome were basically a small-ish cult. Nero blamed them. He rounded up all of the Christians in the city and tortured them. Some were ripped apart by wild animals, others nailed to crosses and decapitated. At night, Nero burned Christians alive using the fire to illuminate his outdoor parties. Around this time, Nero began having marital problems with his new wife, Popea. Eventually, he flew into a fit of rage when Papea was heavily pregnant. Nero kicked her to death, aiming his blows intentionally for Papea's stomach in a gruesome double murder. It's quite clear that Nero had lost whatever sanity he'd been holding on to. The emperor had his wife's body embalmed and preserved in a glass case so that he could visit her each night and talk to his dead wife. Shortly thereafter, Nero saw a 13-year-old boy named Sporus walking through town. Nero claimed that Sporus bore a striking resemblance to the now-dead Popea. The emperor had Sporus kidnapped and castrated. He forced Sporus to wear Popea's clothing, basically live as Nero's wife. Nero had Sporus appear in public as his wife wearing the attire of a Roman empress. In a probably related decision, Nero began appearing in theatrical productions, wearing a mask of and playing the role of Papea. Nero's new palace and statue were bankrupting Rome, so he asked one of his advisors, Vindex, to raise taxes. That was the last straw for Vindex. He joined forces with the governor of Spain and the royal guard to assassinate Nero. Nero lived his life in paranoia and madness and probably knew this assassination was coming. One morning, he woke up to an entirely empty palace. He ran, screaming through the halls for help asking the empty palace if he had not friend nor foe. The mad emperor just wanted someone. Realizing that his death was near, Nero retreated with a small group of slaves to his estate in the countryside. Vindex sent soldiers to kill Nero. When Nero heard that soldiers were en route, he begged his slaves to kill him, but they refused. Nero stabbed himself with a knife, committing suicide as he spoke his final words. What an artist dies in me. Nero was adored by the common people of Rome for a long time. He did a lot of great things for the Roman everyman, but these people didn't write history books. And in the case of Nero, that shows. All of the information about Nero comes from three writers. 
Tacitus, Cassius Dio, and Suetonius. All three of these men were political elites who hated Nero and would be considered political opponents of his. They also wrote about Nero decades after he died, and when he died, he was the last of his family's dynasty. It was in these men's best interest to denigrate Nero's character as much as possible. The worse they made his dynasty look, the better the new regime seemed by contrast. Their depictions of Nero fall right in line with a Roman political strategy called vituperatio. This was the idea that you could say anything about a political opponent. There were no boundaries, nothing was off limits. You could literally just make things up, and that was an accepted part of political discourse. In fact, many of the heinous acts attributed to Nero also seem to be lifted from Roman mythology or other works of fiction. For example, Nero's mother requested that she be stabbed in the stomach where, quote, the monster was nurtured. But this exact thing happened in a fictional play with fictional characters that was written just years prior. Many depictions of the Great Fire also seem to be entirely plagiarized from earlier accounts of attacks on other Roman cities. Nero was madly in love with his second wife. What's more, he was desperate for a child. Their first child had just recently died. Doesn't really make sense that he would kill his pregnant wife. And indeed, there's no evidence that says he did, other than the account of his political enemy. Even that is suspect. The murder of a pregnant wife was also a common storytelling trope in Roman literature. Today, Nero is seen as the embodiment of evil. Some scholars believe that the Antichrist was literally based on Nero himself. But more and more evidence seems to indicate that Nero may have been kind of okay, not that bad, at the very least pretty far from the Antichrist. The story of Nero is one of the all-time great examples of controlling the narrative. The people who write history basically shape reality. You see, we'll never know how bad Nero was or wasn't, but it may not even matter at this point. Because a couple thousand years later, what's written kind of counts more than what happened.